One of the things that we wanted to do as we began this series uh, leading up to Christmas was to really accent the true meaning of Christmas to help us understand what this season really is all about. And today I'm going to talk to you about Christmas in a garden. And to really understand what Christmas is about, we really have to go not back to that night in a, in a manger. We have to go all the way back to the beginning. And I was thinking about this. I was writing some thoughts down as we were doing, getting ready to take communion. Since we're talking about gardens today, when you talk about gardens, you can't help but think about dirt and seeds and plants and trees and all the things that live in gardens. But we don't think about this probably very often, but we also have to think about the things that die in gardens. And if we think about a seed, a seed must die in order to produce new life. Even Jesus said this as he was getting ready to go to the cross. He said, unless a, unless a seed, a, a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, it remains alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it will produce much fruit. And so seeds must die in order to produce new life. Gardens are a picture of life. They're a picture of death, and they're a picture of new life. There's the cycle in a garden. You have life, death, and new life. And when we think about the first garden, there was life, and there was death. But with death came the promise of new life. So Jesus went to the cross in life to be planted as a seed to die in order that he would come forth in new life and so make a way for us who are dead to come forth in new life. Jesus said, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, if you're not willing to die, there is no way for you to live. And the point of our dying is not so that we can keep our old life. The point of our dying is so that we can be raised in new life, just like a seed. The point of a seed dying is not so that that seed can remain alive. The point of that seed dying is so that it would produce new life. This is why Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you will let go of your life, if you'll lose your life, you will find it. Amen. So let's talk about Christmas in a garden for a little bit this morning. In Genesis 2, 20 through 24. Let's read that. Genesis 2, 20 through 24. After God created Adam and Adam named all the animals, the Bible says that in verse 20, so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, 
because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There was no helper comparable to Adam found. So God gave to Adam a helper. If we look a little bit deeper and we see the prophecy that's given here that we'll read in just a moment, we'll see that God gave to Adam something much more than just a woman, someone to wash his clothes and do his dishes. That's really not the helper. That may be part of helping, but God had something much greater in mind You ladies can breathe a big sigh of relief. God had something much greater in mind than just laundry and dishes. I know it doesn't seem that way sometimes. Laundry and dishes are part of life, right? Kind of like mowing the grass or, you know, chasing the loose dogs or fixing the fence or fixing the car, whatever. All those things are part of life. They're only a part. God had something much greater in mind. We can't get lost in the details. And the details become our life. Ephesians 5, 30 and 32. The New Testament gives us the commentary of of what the Bible communicates to us in Genesis. Paul The apostle writes in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 30, For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In the beginning, in the garden, what God had in mind was Christ and the church. Christmas didn't start in a manger. Christmas began way back in a garden. Even before then. Genesis 3.15. After the fall of man, after Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and they disobeyed God, God comes and he pronounces the curse upon the serpent. He pronounces the curse upon uh, the man both male and female. And in that pronunciation of the curse, here's what God declares in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. He's speaking to the serpent. He's declaring this to the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. Who? The seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise the heel of woman's seed. Genesis 3.15 speaks of the seed of the woman. This is the promise of new life. There was life. There was death. There was the promise of new life. It was the first garden that ever had been planted. Adam and Eve didn't know how gardens worked. And God was declaring to them, whether they understood it or not, the promise of new life from death. 
Galatians 3.16 gives us commentary, not only on Genesis 3.15, but, but in, in Genesis 15, when God pronounces the promise to Abraham, and he talks about the seed. If you have a King James Bible, it translates it literally, the word is seed. If you have a an ESV or an NIV or something, it'll translate that word offspring. I don't like that translation because it's really, though the word seed is used to mean offspring, it's not a literal rendering. It literally says seed. And so this is what Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, referring to what God had declared to Abraham back in Genesis. Galatians 3.16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. The promise to the seed of Abraham is the promise to the seed who is Christ. The promises of God are bound up in one man, in one person, and that is Christ. This is the seed that was prophesied in the garden in the beginning. Christmas didn't start in a manger. Christmas began in a garden. In the beginning, the Creator said, Let there be light. And there was. And he has shown his light in the world since then. The creator planted a garden in Eden. He created trees for the garden. He called one for life and he called one for knowledge. The knowledge of good and evil. Now think about this. He even created a tree that would in a later time, in a later place, be called for his death. The very death of the Creator, the Son of God. But that tree called for His death is also the same tree that calls for our life. For when we are crucified with Him, Paul writes, we shall be raised with Him. In what? In new life. He called forth light. Gardens need light. He called forth light and were able to shine His light and decorate the world and celebrate Christmas. Have you ever thought about that? When you decorate your Christmas tree, there would be no Christmas lights had God not in the beginning said, let there be light. He created Christmas trees and put them in the garden and they have greened the planet since then. He planted seeds and they still multiply upon the face of the earth. He gave his seed and that seed is multiplying and that seed is filling the earth as it fills all in all. Christ is the light of the world. The tree in the garden called life. He is the seed of the woman prophesied, the seed of Abraham promised. He is the only begotten of the Father given. Christ is this and more. He is the eternal Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world.
Christmas is the celebrating of the coming of the Savior and all that implies. The reason for the season goes much deeper than Jesus versus Santa Claus. We, we see this everywhere this time of year. Remember the reason for the season. And it's like this epic battle between Jesus and Santa Claus. No, the reason for the season goes much deeper than Jesus versus Santa Claus. <clears throat> and this is what the church must come to realize. God turned on the first Christmas lights when he said, let there be light. He planted the first Christmas tree in a garden in Eden. The creation of the world was for the manifest glory of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. Do you realize that? The creation of the world was for the manifest glory of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ the tree of life and the light of the world. Christ the only Savior and Lord. The fullness of God's glory made flesh is not only the reason for the season. He is the reason for all. If he is just the reason for the season, then he is not Lord of all. He is not truly the king of glory. He is not the creator. Because his reason is much greater than just a season. Christmas did not begin in a manger. In our time and in our world as we know it, Christmas began in a garden. And even before a garden in Eden, Christmas was the eternal purpose of God before time and space, before earth and water, before gardens and seeds, before any created thing was, the Lamb is. Moses asked God, who shall I tell them has sent me? What is your name, God? He said, I am. Tell them I am. It's like, I am dot, dot, dot. He's the God with no beginning. He's the God with no end. He is. He simply is. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. There was another garden. If we fast forward 2,000 years, approximately. It's a garden called Gethsemane. Now remember in Genesis 3.15, God tells the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. And this seed of the woman will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We have Christmas in the garden paradise of Eden, but we also have Christmas in the garden press of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane is a compound word that comes from Chaldean and Hebrew roots. It literally means, Gath means oil. 
Simony means the press. Gethsemane is the oil press. Gethsemane was a garden full of olive trees. And in that garden, there was a press. They would take those olives from those trees, they would put them in that press, and they would press the oil out of the olives. How many of you use EVO on a regular basis? See, now we've, you know, we have uh, uh, acronyms for everything, EVO, or abbreviations, or, you know, we don't say extra virgin olive oil because it's too difficult to say, so we say EVO. Well, this is how you get EVO. You take olives and you put them cold in a press and you press the oil out of them. This is the garden that Jesus went to after the Last Supper. Something very significant happened in that garden. In the beginning, the Creator said, Let there be light, remember? And he created, the Bible says, a garden in Eden, and he put man in this garden. And you might ask, what does the Garden of Gethsemane have to do with Christmas? Well, it has nothing to do with Christmas if Christmas is simply the holiday season that begins after Thanksgiving and culminates on December 25th. But if you understand that Christmas is not tied to a season or a day, but Christmas is every day and it is eternal, you will understand that for the believer, Christmas was one on a tree. Now, a lot of people say, oh, don't put Christmas trees up in your house because those are pagan symbols. I've got a Christmas tree in my house. I went and cut it yesterday, and I've got it sitting in a bucket of water right now. I don't have any lights, don't have any ornaments, but it's not a pagan symbol. It could be to someone, but it's not to me. I love trees. It's the first live Christmas tree we've had in many, many years. So what does Gethsemane have to do with Christmas? If Christmas is based on a season or a day of the year we celebrate, this can be confusing. But Christmas is understood for many centuries, listen, for the first 300 plus years after the resurrection of Jesus, there was no celebration of Christmas. Christmas doesn't pop up until the history books, until the recorded records, until at the very earliest they can figure out is maybe around 311 A.D. By the time we hit the 380s, Christmas has become a, a regular thing. Why... Why in the first 300 years do we see no record of Christmas? I have a theory. Christmas had nothing to do with seasons or months or days. Christmas is not a season, but in reality, Christmas is a person. Not only a what... But most importantly, Christmas is a who. Not, that's no reference to Dr. Seuss, okay? <laughs> Christmas is a person. Christmas is what this person has done, what this person is doing, what this person 
will do for all eternity. It's about Christ. Christ is Christmas. There is no Christmas without Christ. The church didn't celebrate Christmas for over 300 years after the resurrection of Christ. Why? We know that it was the death, the resurrection, and the return of Christ that was to be proclaimed and continually celebrated. That's what we do when we come to this table every week. That's why we come to this table every week, because we are commanded to remember, to proclaim the death of Christ even until He comes again. His birth was a given. If we're coming to the table celebrating his death and his return, his birth is kind of a given. The celebration of the coming of Christ as Savior was a regular part of worship on a daily and weekly basis. There was no need to create a special holiday to celebrate the birth of Christ because it was already an integral part and identity of the church, therefore of the believers, of the people who are the church. Christmas needed no holy day, for it was celebrated every day. Are you tracking with me? It didn't need a holy day. It was celebrated, proclaimed, and remembered every day. Now, does this mean that it's wrong to celebrate Christmas? You might be asking this question. Where are you going with this, Pastor Jeff? Are you going to tell us that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas? Absolutely not. We of all people ought to celebrate it better than anybody else. If we're going to celebrate, let's do it right. What is wrong is that we limit it to one day a year. Or that we diminish or even lose the meaning of Christmas with all the modern and worldly traditions that rob Christmas of its proper meaning and its real significance. Think about this. Christmas and its significance. Think about this. For some people, Black Friday has more significance than Christmas Day. I'm seriously. For, for some people, Christmas is about my Black Friday deal. I mean, when is the last time you saw people camping out weeks in advance, days in advance to get tickets to the Christmas katata? They don't do it. But they'll camp out at Best Buy and all the other places to get the Black Friday deals, right? What does that tell us? The Black Friday deal is more important than the Savior. Now, no one would say it that way. Well, some people might, but most people wouldn't. But it's not really what our, our words really are not what truly communicates our belief. It's our actions. Our actions are what truly communicate our belief. Our words are meaningless if our actions don't match our words. So what's wrong if we as believers fail to understand the significance of Christmas? There's a lot wrong if we fail to understand the significance of Christmas. This is what's wrong. Not, it's not wrong to celebrate Christmas. It's wrong to forget the significance, to fail to understand that Christmas is not seasonal but eternal. That means we cannot, we must not 
tie it only to a season or a month or a day. We can celebrate it in that season, in that month, and in that day. And we're going to do that come December 25th. We're going to celebrate on December 24th. We're going to celebrate on December 25th. We're going to celebrate. We cut a Christmas tree and put it up in the house yesterday because we're going to celebrate in this season. But if we only celebrate in the season, we've missed the whole meaning. We've missed the significance. So we must not tie it only to a season, a month, or a day. We can celebrate it in that season, in that day, but we must not celebrate it only then. We need to celebrate it. We need to remember it. We need to be conscious of it every day. Christmas came into view in a garden in Eden with the promise of the seed of the woman, the offspring who would one day have his heel bruised in bruising the head of the serpent. It was in the garden of Gethsemane 2,000 years later that Jesus Christ struggled with sorrow unto death. This is what he says. Let's turn over to Matthew. Let's read the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 26. Hear the words of the Scripture describing the experience of the Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane, the very garden where He sealed Christmas for us. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over here and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. This is the Son of God who says, My soul is sorrowful even unto death. If you've ever been sorrowful to the point where you feel like dying, don't ever think that you're the only one that's ever felt that way. The Bible says that the Son of God, the glorious Savior, the glorious Creator, the King of glory Himself, who laid down that glory, who came to earth, who took on human flesh, went to a garden called the press, the oil press, and it, the Scripture says that He was sorrowful unto death. If we go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, in verse 44, Luke twenty-two forty-four, it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It was not on the cross that Jesus first shed his blood. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus first shed his blood. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus sealed the deal. And he said, the cross is my destination. It was in his struggle with sorrow unto death that Jesus reaffirmed his complete submission to the Father and sealed his resolve to drink the cup of suffering on the tree we call the cross. The cross that God the Father had eternally purposed 
for his son. This was the eternal will of the Father. That's why Jesus prayed. He said, if, if it's possible, Father, for this cup to pass for me, then let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus prayed that prayer three times. Three times he affirmed his submission to the will of the Father. And the Father said to the Son, it is my will that you drink this cup. And Jesus was pressed so hard in that garden that he began to sweat great drops of blood. Just like the olives that were put in the press and the oil from those olives was pressed out of those. The pressure was so great that the oil flows from those olives. The pressure was so great upon the Son of God that great drops of blood flowed from him in that garden. It was in that garden that Christmas was sealed for us. Had there been no cross, there would be no Christmas. It doesn't matter that Jesus was born. If Jesus was only born but did not die on a cross for our sin, if he was not raised three days later, there is no Christmas. There is nothing to celebrate. We don't celebrate the birth of the Savior. We celebrate the Savior. Not just His birth. We celebrate the Savior who is the Creator. There would be no manger had He not planted trees. There would be no light by which to grow those trees had He not said, let there be light. There would be nothing had He not created everything. But because he did, we can celebrate Christmas, and rightly so. But don't let your Christmas celebration begin in a manger some 2,000 years ago. Understand that Christmas means much more than that. It goes much deeper than that. Don't let the world rob you of the significance and the meaning of Christmas by becoming caught up in the details and the minutiae of the season that the world wants you to get trapped and caught up in. Christmas came into view in a garden paradise in Eden. Christmas was sealed in a garden press in Gethsemane. From paradise to press, Christ would go to the tree and die for our sins. Christ sealed victory in a garden. He achieved victory on a tree and he revealed victory in his resurrection. It's one thing to die. It's one thing to be buried. It's one thing to have a seed. It's one thing to plant a seed. But if no new life comes from the seed that you plant, then the planting is meaningless. If Jesus died simply as any other man would die and be buried as any other man would be buried, never to rise again, then we can say with the Apostle Paul, if there is no resurrection, then we are of all men most pitiable. Because what is the point of all that we are doing? But there was a resurrection. There was a revelation of victory in the resurrection of Jesus. There was the revelation of new life. The seed died. The seed was planted. The seed came to new life. So we celebrate the truth of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. We do this daily as we live in Him as we move in Him, as we have our very 
being in him. There is no Christmas without Christ. Christmas is not what we celebrate. It is who we celebrate. And if we only celebrate Christ in December or at Easter or any other of your favorite holidays, if that's the only time we celebrate him, then we've lost, we've misunderstood the meaning of what this word from the very beginning to the very end is communicating to us. That Christmas is not a season. It is the one who has saved us. It is Christ. Christ the Lord who came who was wrapped in that manger but he didn't begin in a manger and he didn't stay in a manger and he didn't end on a cross and he didn't stay in a grave he is the risen Savior he is the Lord of glory he is the King of kings amen he is the reason for every thing, not just the season. He is the reason for all. Let's stand. So when you get ready to put your Christmas tree up, you to think about how that tree came to be. That tree came to be because God planted a garden one day in the distant past. And He greened the earth with His trees knowing that one day one of those trees would be cut down to become the very instrument that would take the life of his son. If you had it within your power to prevent the death of your only son by never allowing the thing that would take his life to be created in the first place, how many of us would say, I would never allow that to be created if I knew it would save my son? Yet God created trees on purpose knowing that a tree would be cut down one day, would be made into a cross, and it would take the life of His Son. And that His Son on that tree would become sin for us. And the Father would have to turn His face away from His only begotten Son. He did that not for His friends. He did that not for His family. He did, not, he, did not, he did not do that for those whom he, who, who loved him greatly. He did that for his enemies. He did that for those who not only did not love him, but were active enemies against God the Creator. Lord, we have so much. 
to be thankful for as we celebrate this season we call Christmas. Father, I pray that you would help us, that we would purpose today, that each one hearing my voice would purpose this day that we will not go through this Christmas season as we've gone through past Christmas seasons. That we will purpose to seek your face and to ask that you would by your spirit to open to us an understanding and a comprehension of Christmas that goes far beyond December 25th. That doesn't end with post-holiday depression. But Lord, that sees an even greater joy, a greater expression of that joy come after the holiday. Because Christmas is not a day, it's not a season. Christ is Christmas. And He is eternal. And what he has given us in him is eternal. Help us, God, to be your children that would celebrate that with joy, unspeakable and full of glory each and every day. And when we fail to do that, God, not that we would judge and condemn ourselves for that, but that we would remind ourselves that we have a reason to rejoice. We have a reason for joy and peace and hope and love and faith. Help us, God, to be mindful of that. That you would be glorified in your church and your people. Help us to be merry, not just at Christmas, but every day, even until you come again. And then our joy truly will be made manifest and revealed. Unlimited, unspeakable, and full of glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen.